0: That's when I know that it was a good newsletter, when I shared something that really was uncomfortable because that is the the definition to me of vulnerability, is the fear of being judged by other people and saying something that maybe not everyone will agree with.
1: Hello, hello, and welcome back to Seek the Joy podcast. Happy Seek the Joy Tuesday. I'm your host, Sydney Weiss, and thanks for being here. And thanks for joining us on this Halloween week. I hope you have a great Halloween. I hope you have a great Halloween week. What are you dressing up as? What are you doing? Let me know. I'm super nosy, and I love seeing everybody's Halloween costumes, so show me what you've got going on. But in any case, um, let me tell you about who's on the podcast this week. On this week's show is Jillian Richardson, and she is the founder of The Joy List. And The Joy List is this really wonderful weekly newsletter of events in New York City where You can go by yourself and leave with a friend. Jillian's mission is really to reduce loneliness in the United States, and she's starting with New York City. Through The Joy List, she compiles events that encourage connection, vulnerability, and playfulness. And on this week's episode, we talk all about the joyless. Jillian shares with us the inspiration behind starting it and her passion for building community and why it's so important to create deeper connections and choose vulnerability. We chat about creating balance when everything is a hell yes and developing self-worth outside of work and reconnecting to our femininity. Plus, Jillian and I discuss the world of freelance. She's a pretty badass ghostwriter, by the way. And we talk about her newest writing venture. She's writing a book that's coming out next year, and so much more. So, before we dive into this week's new episode, I want to share a couple of quick things with you. First of all, our fifth And final giveaway in our month-long celebration of the one-year anniversary of Seek the Joy podcast went live on our Instagram page yesterday. I cannot believe that this is the last one. I can't believe it's coming to an end. So head on over to Seek the Joy podcast on Instagram. It's just at Seek the Joy podcast. And make sure you enter this week's giveaway. The theme is professional development. And we've got some really good stuff in there for you. The giveaway ends this Friday, and I will announce the winner on Sunday, so make sure that you enter. Um, Also, you know I have to share with you the iTunes review of the week, and this week it comes from R. Schaefer Allen, and it says, this podcast is amazing. I'm so glad I started listening to this podcast. I've been struggling with a few things lately, and Sydney's openness and vulnerability really reached me and helped me when I was feeling hopeless. I'm so glad she puts herself out there and speaks her truth. R. Schaefer Allen, thank you so much for this review and you know I've already thanked you, but I'm thanking you again and this time I'm thanking you on the podcast. Guys, if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you've been tuning in or even if this is your first time tuning in to Seek the Joy podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or really wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And if you don't know how to leave a review, just Send me a quick message and I'll walk you through it. Ratings and reviews really help us get seen by new people and grow and expand and selfishly I love reading and hearing and learning about what you guys think about this podcast. If you do, make sure to take a screenshot of your review and send it to sydney at seekthejoypodcast.com and I will send you our guide for infusing more joy into your life and some Seek the Joy podcast stickers and a really big virtual hug. All right, guys, that's it. As you're tuning into this week's new episode, I encourage you to think about what role has community played in your life and how are you showing up within those communities? So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jillian Richardson of The Joy List.
0: Well, thank you so much. You can't see me, but I'm doing like a little wiggly excited <laughs> dance in my seat right now. <laughs> I love it. So I am Jillian. Uh, I'm the founder of The Joy List, which is a weekly newsletter in New York of events every day that you can go to by yourself and leave with a new friend. And other than that, I'm also writing a book called Unlonely Planet about the, I call them third spaces that take the positive elements of religion, but kind of leave aside the complicated political elements of the church that make them so inaccessible for a lot of people. Those are my two main things right now.
1: Yeah, I love this. And I think it's so cool. You have such a diversified set of interests and things that you do. But I'm trying to think of where I want to start in my head with this conversation. Well, Okay, let's talk about the joy list and where that started. So are you originally from New York, or did you end up moving to New York after college? How did, you, how did you land there?
0: Yeah, so I grew up in Connecticut, went to school at Boston University, and then graduated early on purpose so that I could move to New York City as soon as I possibly could. <laughs> so I actually moved to New York City because I wanted to be a comedy writer. And so I moved here because I said, I'm going to be in late night. I'm going to do all these classes at Upright Citizens Brigade. I'm going to find an agent. And once I got here, I very quickly changed my mind and decided that the comedy world was not for me because the people who I met who were successful did not seem happy. So from there, I was kind of playing around with dropping into different communities. So I was going to a lot of events by myself. When I moved to New York City, I didn't really have any close friends who lived here, There were two women I knew from high school who were in New York City, and that's pretty much it. And so I started going to meditation events by myself. I went to a festival by myself for a weekend. And the thing that I kind of cite as my turning point in really starting to find my community and realizing the power of what a community can give is when I went to Camp Grounded, which is a summer camp for adults that is completely sober. And it's also a digital detox weekend. So there's no technology. There's also no talk about worker age. Mm. So it's kind of this amazing level playing field where everyone goes in and is equalized kind of. And you can just be yourself, be silly, be playful like a kid. And that I think it's just a very specific type of person who opts into going to that type of event. Yeah. And that's when I started to find like, yeah, these are people who make me excited I feel like they can help me grow as a person. They're people who I am excited to support in their growth, and I just felt better. I just yeah. felt like a better version of myself. That I was like, yep, yeah, these are these are the kinds of people I want to be around. This is the type of friendship that I want in my life.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's so interesting when we remove technology and we we remove our phones and we remove those distractions. We really have the ability to connect with people on a much deeper level. And so it sounds like that camp experience just. I don't know, it was like a shift in your journey once you got to New York.
0: It was a huge shift. And I think it helped me realize how powerful an event can be. Because yeah, it was a one-off weekend. But it also gave me access into an entirely different type of community. And Mm -hmm. I saw those people after that event. And I think that it wasn't just that one instance, but it was a big moment that helped me kind of fuel my obsession with events and why certain spaces can facilitate a transformation within someone.
1: It's so interesting what you just said about how powerful an event can be, because I think often when we see an event listed in a newsletter or on Facebook, or um, if we're told about it from a friend, we, we don't think about just the impact of the event or the people that we could meet there, or what that could mean for ourselves and for our lives. And so you have created some, pretty phenomenal events from the Hustle Fest to Ground Shift. What was the first event that you created and what has that experience been like?
0: Yeah, I think I got really lucky when I moved to New York City that I was a part-time freelance writer in college and I continued freelance writing when I left. And this website, Skillshare, which is kind of like an online teaching platform they reached out to me and they said, hey, we've seen a bunch of your freelance writing online. We see that you're writing about freelancing. Would you be willing to teach a course on writing for our students? Like, mm-hmm. we'll send a video crew to your apartment and we would just love for you to be one of our first writing teachers. And the fact that they did that and they trusted me with that and they saw me as an authority kind of helped me get comfortable with the idea of teaching and being someone whose voice is worth listening to. And I realized how much I liked teaching. And uh, I think because of that, too, when I left Camp Grounded and I felt how impactful play is, I pitched a kind of like improv and play workshop at a co-working space near me. And they accepted it. And I that went well. Mm-hmm. And I just started getting kind of hooked on hosting events and bringing people together.
1: There's so much power in bringing people together. And I think it's so interesting because once you start doing it and once you start formulating your own communities outside of just joining others. I think it's, I don't know, it's a totally different experience. What you just said, too, about becoming an authority on something. Isn't that just like the weirdest feeling when someone considers mm-hmm. you? Like like that you know your stuff. You know what you're doing. And I think we spend so much time in our lives doubting ourselves and doubting, you know, it's that imposter syndrome piece. So that had been a really interesting experience to – to be regarded in that way.
0: It's something I really struggle with, but also I completely forget who gave me this speech of advice, but they said, and you're an expert if you know 10% more than the person. So hmm. I'm like, okay. I love that. Like so yeah, we have, some, we have something to teach someone. Totally.
1: And you're also a freelancer, and you did you ever expect to work for yourself or... Yeah. Did you ever think that was like a remote possibility? Like I would work for myself and create a business and, and be successful within it.
0: Yeah. No, I definitely didn't. <laughs> so I, my friends who you know my dad, they know he's like a very, his love language is kind of talking about work. Like that's how he bonds <laughs> with people. That's how he feels like he connects to them. Yeah. And so his job was he was a headhunter where he placed CEOs in high level positions. So ever since I was like not even kidding, six years old. Like we were talking about my career. We always had this thing in my house, like, what is your bullseye? Like, you need to know what you want. You need to know the steps that you're going to take to get there. And you need to know the best people and you need to work with the best. Mm. And for him, that always meant big companies. Like no matter what I wanted to do, like when I wanted to be a comedy writer, it was, I'm going to write for NBC. I'm going to work for NBC because that's the biggest and that's the best. So freelancing was definitely never a thing that, my parents talked about. I never grew up knowing anyone who works for themselves. So like I grew up in a very kind of like hedge fundy banker town. So like the people who were freelance writers, like that was never a thing I knew existed.
1: Right. It's like one of those things where you don't grow up around it or it's not an example in front of you. And then when you're when you realize you're falling into the world of freelance or entrepreneurship, it's like whoa, what am I doing? It's kind of like a culture shock moment. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to hear you talk a little bit about that and just how you know maybe it just wasn't what you expected or what you grew up around.
0: Yeah, and I was I was very lucky. We were in college, I worked for this company called Contently as a writing intern, and they had two publications, and one was about content strategy, and one was about freelancing. So I got to do a lot of research on the freelance economy and I also got to uh, see the rate that writers who worked for big companies got. So I kind of knew from the start, which is the thing that some writers never get, that like, yeah, I can get 500 a $1,000 for an article if I'm writing for GE or American Express. Like writing is a viable option as a career. Mm-hmm. So that was another very fortunate thing that happened and I'm super grateful for their team. Yeah.
1: so interesting just how... Once you kind of started on this path, the different opportunities, I don't know, started showing up for you, and you just kind of kept going with them.
0: Mm-hmm. It has, it's definitely been terrifying, like the entire way. <laughs> I,
1: I mean, listen, I'm sort of in that space too, of really making up my life and my career as I go, and it's, it's really terrifying when you, you don't have an example, you don't know what it's supposed to look like, but I don't know, I think it's really fun, but it's also incredibly terrifying. Yeah,
0: and it's a thing that I think only amplifies the more I feel like I really care about what I'm doing because yeah. I'm like well the stakes are higher. I really feel like I can make an impact. How do I do this? And the thing that I'm struggling with right now is how do I find mentors and also how do I do this very heart-centered thing and make good money? Because I want to make good money and help a lot of people. And how do I balance that? How do I do both? And
1: that's, I think, a struggle for so many people because these heart-centered careers or things that we want to do where it's you're doing it because you love it and you believe you can have an impact or you know that you can have an impact. But then it's kind of like, wait, like how do I make money or how do I sustain myself? And can they coexist? And they absolutely can. But I think for a long time, there are elements of our culture that have said, you, you can't do this heart-centered thing. You can't make an impact. You can't change people's lives. You can't put something really beautiful out there and make money at the same time. So it's it's this thing that I think so many people, especially, I think in sort of like this wellness space, and I think that's a huge umbrella, but I think a lot of people are reconciling with that.
0: Yeah. And like, I just, for uh, for me, I just want to acknowledge like, that I definitely have the privilege of being able to experiment with this and see how I can mm-hmm. do something that I'm really passionate about and that I think will help and not have the worry of like, Oh, if I don't make enough money this month, I literally have nothing to fall back on. It's like, yeah, I am fully mm-hmm. financially supporting myself, but if something went wrong and I couldn't, I have people who would support me and help me out gladly. Yeah. yeah. And actually a thing about me that a lot of people don't know because I never talk about it is that I actually make all of my money from ghostwriting for CEOs. So I make a small amount of money from the newsletter, but mostly I'm a ghostwriter. Yeah. And I don't mention it because that's not how I want it to be known. And I honestly don't totally. need more work, but it's fully pretty much how I'm making my income. Yeah.
1: And that's so interesting because I think this piece about ghostwriting, I mean, I knew this about you because... I mean, I did some major stalking on <laughs> your website, but I think it's so interesting because I think when someone if they first meet you or they first know get to know you, you know, it's about the newsletter, it's about the joy list, it's about the book you're writing, it's a it's about the events that you've curated, and I think it's so it's so wonderful that even within the different things that we do, we really have the opportunity to create and build the identity, you know, that we really want to be known yeah. for.
0: I'd say six months ago, I made the conscious choice that when somebody asked me what my job is, I said, I'm the founder of the joy list because I do want that to be my sole job eventually. Wow.
1: For anyone that doesn't know what the joy list is, I mean, what is it? Yes. Yeah,
0: so it is a newsletter with the goal of ending loneliness in New York City. And so how I do that is I have an intro that's something that happened in my week, a story that hopefully I can get to be as vulnerable as possible. And after that, I have two or three events for every day of the week that have a facilitated moment of connection. So that means like no art galleries, no movie screenings, no shows, because I think there are plenty of newsletters that do a really good job of highlighting those. Uh, And so instead, it's more like a facilitated dinner party, a meditation with discussion circles a improv, like, prank in public, anything (laughs) like that.
1: So anything that gives people, like, an opportunity to connect and actually talk. Yes,
0: and a reason also that I do it is because a lot of times people who – I think are really, really good at creating beautifully connected spaces. Are also not great at promoting themselves. So I am also just trying to help those people get their good work totally. out there.
1: Totally. What's so cool about your newsletter, and I'm on the list, even though I'm not in New York, but maybe one day. But what I love <laughs> so much about your newsletter is that it really is about connection, but it's also about this element of vulnerability and also having fun. And at the beginning of our conversation, we did talk a little bit about meaningful connections and creating those deeper relationships and it sounds like the joy list was really inspired by your own experiences and and trying to really develop and and connect with people on a deeper level and i think when you move somewhere new or you do something different it's hard to meet those people so to have something to help facilitate that i think is so needed
0: thank you i Nothing makes me happier than meeting someone who's like, oh, I just moved to New York City and I was really scared and I found your newsletter and I went to an event and I made a new friend. Like, my heart explodes. Oh. That's exactly what I want.
1: Because I look, that goes back to your why, right? And, like, the impact that you want to have and why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And so this element of vulnerability that I think really goes hand in hand, you know, with your events and connecting on a deeper level and What has your experience been like with vulnerability and showing more of yourself or sharing more of yourself in a way that, you know, maybe isn't always so comfortable?
0: Yeah, I think for me, when I send a newsletter out and I'm, I feel like almost like a bad feeling in the pit of my stomach afterwards. That's when I know that it was a good newsletter. Yeah. When I shared something that really was uncomfortable, because that is the, the definition to me of vulnerability is the fear of being judged by other people and saying something that maybe not everyone will agree with. And I will fully acknowledge that not every week I get that feeling because sometimes I. Am busy and I don't have the time to sit and dig and think like what is really the most meaningful, impactful thing that I can share this week. Sometimes I just share a story that I think will be helpful to people, and that's that. But occasionally, I get that rare intro where I have that feeling of almost like dread. But always, those are the emails that get the most responses from people who understand what I'm going through.
1: And it's amazing once you start to put yourself out there in that vulnerable way that's different and requires, I think, a lot of courage. It's amazing just the people that reach out and sort of validate that. And not that you need that validation in that moment, but I think it goes to show like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Like, okay, I'm putting myself out there in the, in a way that aligns with who I am and the impact that I want to have.
0: Yeah. It feels really good to hear those responses from people that I was helpful.
1: Do you have any plans to expand it beyond New York?
0: Yes. So that is a long-term plan that I honestly do not know how I'm going to do yet. (laughs) Yeah. But like, if we're talking like five year, 10 year plan, my goal is to really nail my system in New York city of how to promote these events, how to get sponsors, how to do a really consistent event and like actually be able to support myself in that way. And then kind Mm -hmm. of find whoever is the Jillian of Chicago or San Francisco and partner with them and have them start to bring the newsletter to other cities because I've had a ton of people from other towns reach out and say, like, we would love to do this in, like, Minnesota or California. I actually I have people in Sri Lanka and in England who are interested in bringing the newsletter there. Um, that's amazing and I just don't know how I'm going to do it
1: it's one of those things where like you see the need and it's out there but it's like how do I scale this like how do I do it Uh yeah that's like a whole other enchilada (laughs) like figuring out how to scale
0: enchilada
1: yeah it's like a whole other animal like figuring out how to scale you know something that you know is impactful
0: and I know that it helps people
1: Yeah. And I think that's the most important part is that it does help people and it does help facilitate these deeper connections and having fun because playfulness and play is also a value. I know that you hold dear and hold dear, especially when it comes to the newsletter. And so Is play, like, a has it always been a big part of your life or was it something that you had to, I don't know, like work to incorporate or or bring more into
0: your life? Yeah, it's really interesting. I think that as a kid, I was super playful. I was really silly. I always prided myself on having a good sense of humor. But growing up, I never really had an activity that helped me tap into that. Like, in high school, I wished my high school would start an improv or sketch group, and it never mm. happened. So by yeah. the time I got to college, I was, like, exploding with anticipation of joining, like, a comedy group. Like, that was my version <laughs> of sorority. Yeah. But I don't know if I consciously was thinking, like, oh, I need more play in my life. Yeah. I know that growing up, I was very serious. Like, I was a very intense student. I was – I'm Still, I'm like very type A in a lot of ways, and I know that that's not healthy. I think for me, the people who I've met who seem the happiest and have the lives that I want to kind of copy a little bit or take bits and pieces from are the people who really, really prioritize making time in their lives for being silly. And that doesn't necessarily mean like doing improv, but just to have fun. I think I just replaced the word play with fun, like anything that's enjoyable.
1: Totally. Because it's
0: so easy for me to get sucked up in the cycle of just working because that's the environment I grew up in, was an environment that's obsessed with work. Yeah,
1: you and me both. I mean, I always thought I had to be so serious to be taken seriously. And it's really only been in the last year where like, I've had a total like 180 where it's like, no, like I can be myself and I can let my personality come through and have fun and be silly and play and still be me. Do you know what I mean? Like it doesn't take away from who you are or what you want to do or the impact that you want to have. And I think it has a lot to do with the environment that you I or anyone else, you know, grew up around too. I think it totally impacts just like our perspective on on all of that and work-life balance too as an adult.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree with that.
1: So you're also writing a book. So <laughs> yeah. how did this journey of writing a book come about? Like, what was the inspiration? Where did it start? Because I think this is so cool.
0: Thank you. So I was at a conference called Next Gen Summit, which is a conference for young entrepreneurs, uh, which I highly recommend if anyone's under the age of like 30, 30 find their Facebook group, join it. It's amazing. And there's this guy, Eric Coaster, who talked about what he calls creation events. He was like one of the keynote speakers, and he talked about how, the I think the title of of the talk was, like, what are the secrets of people who make Forbes 30 Under 30? So, of course, it was like the most popular talk of the day. And everyone was like, I want to be on Forbes 30 Under 30. How do I do it? And he said that the secret was creation events. Which is something that is time box, that takes maybe six months or less, that proves that you are dedicated to a topic. So, for example, writing a book in a major way to highlight. Listen, I care about this topic, and I dedicated like a year or more of my life to making this happen. Also, uses a podcast as an example, and I heard that talk and. Of course, he was using this talk as a way to promote his book writing program, and he totally told me. I was like, yes, I want to be an expert in community building and gathering people and writing a book would be an amazing way to learn about that and to position myself as an expert, like sign me up. Yeah. I want to learn
1: how to do those. That's amazing. And so I think it really goes back to what we were saying earlier, just about being regarded as an expert in something and positioning yourself and almost coming to that space of accepting like, whoa, I do know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. So then how did you land on the topic of your book? Because I think you mentioned at the beginning, it does you know, discuss religion. And how have you been able to tie that in then to this emphasis on being a community builder and, and having that impact that you really want to have?
0: Yeah, I think I was, like, one of the exercises for starting this book was to essentially just write down all the names of any book you could think of or find about that topic and see what what was the short synopsis of the book. And then also write down what I was curious about in terms of community building. And I realized that a thing I was really thinking about is how religion seems to be, of course, one of the most amazing forms of community building. Yet, for me, almost nobody I know goes to church, which Mm -hmm. is, if we were 200 years ago, that would be a completely different situation. And I was just thinking a lot about, what elements of community do we get from church? Like, what are the really good parts of having a place where you go every week, you get to feel like you're part of something that's bigger than yourself, you get to help other people, people notice if you're gone, and then what happens if that's taken away from us? If we don't have something that is like that in our lives, and I kind of had a hypothesis that that is one of the big reasons why we've seen a huge spike in loneliness is that we don't have this thing that is kind of agreed upon that we do every we leave, whether it's church or synagogue or another religion.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's just we don't have those same spaces that we used to maybe 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. And so I think so much of it is about in this modern era, and this modern time, facilitating that for ourselves and creating those spaces of community. I love how you've been able to incorporate that with the book and with what you're writing.
0: Thank you so much.
1: So what is the writing process been like i mean do you write every day do you write a couple times a week
0: so i definitely at least i do write every day but not for the book right now it's been a lot of interviewing people finding people who i'm just curious to chat with and then taking that interview and breaking out into stories so saying what were the most interesting things to me from that conversation and fleshing it out the man who runs the program, Eric, he calls it the Lynn manuel method hmm. because Lin-Manuel Miranda, when he wrote Hamilton, just did a bunch of research on Hamilton. And then how he decided to write the stories was just what are the most compelling parts of this story and started writing those out and then eventually was looking for themes within those stories. And that's kind of the same way I'm approaching this book.
1: That is so cool. So do you have like a deadline for yourself or is it kind of like, I'll finish it when it kind of just all magically, you know, comes together?
0: Yeah. So that's an amazing part of this program about doing it with a bunch of other people. So October 8th, I have a deadline of 20,000 words. So it doesn't have to be good words, just words. (laughs) 20,000 of them by October 8th. Uh, And then March is when we'll have done like all of our rounded edits and we've had people read it for us. And we've worked with our coaches and all that goodness. So, everything going according to plan, March is when the book wow. will be ready.
1: So, like with everything that you do, I mean, how do you balance everything for yourself?
0: <laughs> Honestly, it's the thing that I struggle with. <laughs> um, yeah. I think just having time jumps is a really helpful thing for me. Like saying, okay, before noon is only when I'm doing my deep work writing, like, I have to do writing then only scheduling meetings in the afternoon, um, making my list of what I'm going to do the night before, all those, like, classic productivity tips. But if I'm being real, I definitely have moments where I – totally lose my shit and I'm like what yeah. am I doing this is too many things and I keep telling myself I'm going to do less stuff <laughs> and I only am going to say yes to things that I'm a hell yes to but yeah. I also have so many hell yeses that it's it's still too many
1: I think that's so interesting because people talk about like if it's not a hell yes it's like a hell no right but then what do you yeah. do when you have so many things that are a hell <laughs> yes like I'm so excited about this I'm so passionate about it and then before you know it you're looking at like different piles of exciting projects or events or things that you want to be part of. And I think that's a big struggle for a lot of people, including me, uh-huh. is I keep taking on stuff that I'm so excited about, but I couldn't imagine not doing it. So it is about yeah. finding a way, I think for me at least, and you'll have to tell me if this is the same for you, but kind of being able to compartmentalize and saying like, okay, this will not get done today, but my sleep is more important. Or uh-huh. hanging out with this friend for two hours is more important. And and kind of being okay with that and figuring, like, it's not going to be a perfect balance, but this is, this is as good as I'm going to be able to do today. And it, as I think sometimes we talk so much about balance or so much about self-care, but oftentimes – the biggest form of self care is just being like, this is just what it is going to be today, and kind of having that moment of acceptance and uh-huh. and, and just being okay with that.
0: Yeah, it's it's a thing that I'm. I talked to one of my friends Duncan about this a lot, but it's kind of like it's been programmed into me that work is the number one priority, and in so many cultures that is not the case. Totally. Like people do not feel as guilty in other countries for that. Just stopping working after like six or seven hours and doing other things because their value as a human is not intertwined with the amount of stuff they get done and the amount they contribute to like a capitalist system. And it's so deeply ingrained in me that like my worthiness as a person is the amount of stuff I produce. And that's not true, but it's definitely a thing that's still in my brain. When
1: did you have that moment of realizing like, whoa, my level of self-worth or what i connect my worth to or my value to is to my output is that something you've realized recently for yourself or have you just known that for a long time
0: i think it's only since i graduated from college and was in new york city and just started meeting people who did live their lives more mindfully and were more self-aware of kind of the the reasons why they do what they do and just being lucky enough to become friends with people who are super thoughtful Like, shout out to my friends, Duncan and David, who I have these Hmm. conversations with all the time, who are very much like, let's think about the patriarchal structure. Let's think about, like, the capitalist structure. Why do we have these values? Because, like, we're American and, like, this is just what we're taught to think is important. And, like, go to Spain, go to Bolivia, go to Uruguay, whatever, like, go to Russia. Things will be different. Yeah.
1: So then after having this level of awareness, like knowing that this is how you've associated your, your, self-worth and your value, how have you been able to transition out of that? Or have you been able to transition out of that and say, Hey, actually my value is, I know my value is not attributed to those things. It's, maybe my compassion or my kindness or my heart or just the fact that I'm living and breathing? I mean, how have you been able to sort of maybe move into that space?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, a big thing has been um, doing loving kindness meditation. Mm. That's been a big one. Essentially, loving kindness meditation is a practice of sending love to myself. And so I'm sending love to other people. Uh, That has been really good for helping me kind of reduce the inner critic in my head that says I should be getting more stuff done. And also starting to do work on, like, women's work. So, like, thinking about sisterhood, tapping into my feminine characteristics that I do not value but are very valuable, like kindness and compassion and openness and trying really purposefully to strengthen those things. Mm-hmm. There's a book that I read called The Heroine's Journey that really helped me with that. It's so
1: interesting because I think given our society, and we, I have listeners all around the world, so I don't know if this applies everywhere, but we're taught from a very young age to stuff down those feminine characteristics, right? So if you cry, you're weak. If you Uh stand up for yourself, you're an angry woman. If you're in touch with your femininity, it's, it's not viewed as a good thing. It's not viewed as a positive. And I think it's been really fascinating for me to, well, A, hear you just talk about this. But also for me, it's been something that's been pretty much in the forefront of my awareness for the last maybe six or eight months, just about how I've done that throughout my whole life. And I've stuffed those characteristics down or I've downplayed them. Um, And maybe I've been more aggressive at times in my life, or maybe I've been more, for lack of a better word, masculine when that really wasn't my truth, Uh because I thought I needed to be that way in society. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about how Tapping into your femininity and tapping into those characteristics have helped you move into this space or develop more of that kindness or compassion to yourself.
0: Yeah. It's it's been difficult. But I think what's been helpful is having conversations with other women about it too. Mm -hmm. And then just about really that it's kind of difficult to take care of ourselves because at least for me, I was not in conversations about how to take care of myself growing up in that way. I felt like, My therapist said something really that I thought was lovely, which is um, learning how to be a good parent to myself, Mm. which I was like, ooh, I like that. I'm going to be using that.
1: Yeah, because if you think about it, we are never taught about self-soothing in that way, right, or taking care of Mm -hmm. ourselves in that way. But ultimately, it's our job to really learn how to do that, and that is, like, brilliant. I just wrote that down. Because how to be a good parent to yourself, I think, is is a hard task to learn if, A, you've never thought about it, or B, if you haven't had that type of role model in your life as a parent. And so mm-hmm. if you don't mind sharing, you know, what has that kind of look like? Has it meant, you know, giving yourself more of a break? Has it meant, you know, acknowledging your wins more? I mean, what does that kind of look like for you?
0: Yeah, for me, I think right now... One is definitely morning routine. That's been a huge thing. Yeah. Because I realized if I, if I don't do that, I get so out of whack. I become like so traveled, and it's easier for me to feel negative, and it's easier for me to feel distracted. So taking the time to like, to journal, to read, to do some yoga, to write some affirmations for myself. That's been huge because I think it's just like a signal to my brain that I am worth loving and taking care of. Totally. uh, Instead of just just my inclination is to just dive into doing work.
1: What you just said, worth loving and taking care of, thats that like speaks volumes. I think that like everyone needs to write that down. Which needs to be (laughs) like a mantra somewhere.
0: It it, it sounds so simple, but it's like I feel for me that anytime I'm – actively taking the time to just focus on giving myself like love my brain's like nope you shouldn't be doing this you should be doing something else
1: so it's almost like a little bit of reprogramming and retraining right just like the way we view ourselves or view others or or what we even view as being productive
0: yeah because it's like we productivity is not just about work output
1: totally yeah i couldn't agree more what you've shared just about just tapping into your femininity and taking care of yourself and establishing a morning routine, I mean, it really does go back to self-care and self-love, but I love the way that you and I just talked about it because I think it's so different than conversations that we usually have about being intentional and being mindful and and taking good care of ourselves, you know, within this broader, you know, self-care and wellness conversation. Yeah, I think
0: for me, I just want to remind myself to be kind to myself because I've had decades of experience that tells me to not do these things that I'm trying to start doing, like meditating and doing yoga and writing and being mindful of my breath and being mindful of my emotions and all that yeah. stuff. I never had that training growing up. So it's going to take me a long time to actually nail it. And I probably never will. So that that's just the thing that I'm hoping will be helpful to somebody as well.
1: Oh, it's going to be. I mean, it's even helpful for me in this moment because it isn't something I grew up with either. And I think, so giving ourselves kind of grace within that and patience and and no one will ever get it perfect. But that's okay, you know?
0: Amen. then.
1: So if you could go back in time and tell, I don't know, 21, 22-year-old Jillian anything,
0: what would it be? Oh, man, I would say you're worth loving. That's what I would say. Like, you're worth dedicating time to love. You're beautiful without changing. And learning to be in touch with yourself and your intuition is going to take a long time, and that's okay.
1: Mm. Mic drop. That is so (laughs) good. You are worth loving. Every part of you, just worth loving. You don't have to change for anyone. You are just worth loving the way that you are.
0: Important message
1: that I gotta remind myself of. Yeah, I mean, seriously, I'm gonna write this down and put it on like a like an index card in front of in front of me on my desk because it, everyone needs that reminder. Oh, I think always. Mm-hmm. So I'm in a future trip with you a little bit because I love asking. <laughs> I love asking this question because we always spend so much time talking about where we've been and where we are now. But what would you say is is your biggest dream?
0: Oh, man, my biggest dream is to be able to focus on community building and do it full time and be making good money from it and not be stressing out and having, like, systems in place and knowing what I'm doing and getting more offers than I can say yes to. Hmm. Like, I'm doing a Joylist event once a month at least. I'm hosting an event for community builders once a month. I'm writing books about community building and gathering and loneliness. And I'm getting paid to speak. And like I'm getting paid well so that I can do all these other things that I do for free or at low cost. And I can do it without resentment and without yeah. stress.
1: I love it. It goes back to the broader mission and the broader why and who you are and what it is that you're doing and you're building. And I'm so inspired just by no, no, just your focus on just new ways to gather in community and create community and build community. And where can everyone find you, Jillian? Where can everyone sign up for the joy list? I think whether you're in the New York city area or not, just to even read your words every week about vulnerability and what you're sharing from, from really from your heart. So yeah, where can everyone find you and learn more and, and connect?
0: Yeah, so the website for The Joy List where you can sign up is joylist.nyc. On Instagram, we are at joylistnyc. And on Facebook, we are The Joy List. And if you want to email me, you can just email hey, H-E-Y, at joylist.nyc.
1: And I probably should tell people you always respond with the best GIFs. So
0: Yes, I'll respond with the gist for sure.
1: They're so good. So just send her Jillian an email just to be able to get the gist <laughs> on the other side. Jillian, thank you
0: so much for coming on Seek the Joy podcast.
1: I loved our conversation. Thank you
0: so much. I really appreciate it. And thank you for doing what you do. You're elevating the voices of so many people. Oh, you're so
1: sweet. Well, thank you. It's a huge goal of mine just to be able to do that. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Connecting with Jillian and learning about her passion for community building through joy and vulnerability. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what you think about this new episode. Make sure to join the conversation and follow along on our social media pages. We are at Seek the Joy Podcast pretty much everywhere except for on Twitter. We're at SeekTheJoyPod, but I'll include all the links to that in the show notes. So it's so easy to find us. And if you want to support me and you want to support my work here on this podcast, Make sure to share the show or your favorite episode with your friends or your family or on your social media pages and hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. You can also leave us a rating and review or even support us on Patreon and I've included the link to our Patreon in the show notes for today's episode too. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I'm enjoying this outro thing. I think I'm going to keep it. I think it's going to be a thing. Um, In any case, have a very happy Halloween. Make sure to tune in to our Instagram page on Wednesday to see my Halloween costume this year. And that's it. All right. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And I will see you right back here for another Seek the Joy Tuesday.